So it's Mother's Day today, and this Mother's Day, I'd like us to, to consider together Mary, the mother of our Lord. When we think about the Virgin Mary, perhaps we may think of Christmas time, or perhaps we may think about debates over the reality of the virgin birth, or perhaps we may uh, think about the esteem that some people uh, hold Mary in, even her, even exalting her to the level of somebody that we can pray to. Um, but the reason that there's debate about these things, and the reason that people set aside a time to specially consider the virgin birth at, at Christmas time, is because this is so beautiful. Uh, this motherhood of Mary is 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 a beautiful and wondrous thing. Something that um, that when we, we allow the, the Holy Spirit to, uh, to penetrate through perhaps the callousness of our familiarity with it, uh, something that, that will help us to, to take off our shoes, figuratively speaking, and recognize that we're on, on holy ground. So, so as we consider this passage, um, Luke 1, 26 through 38, I'd like us to consider the grace of God coming to Mary, the mother of our Lord. And... We, we see first that the grace of God comes to Mary as an object of God's grace. This, um, this word that's translated highly favored one is one word in the Greek, and it means one who is specifically selected to receive God's grace. This is one of just two places that this occurs in Scripture. So first we want to consider Mary as a recipient of God's grace, as an object of God's grace. Then we want to consider Mary as as the one, Mary, the mother of our Lord, as the one through whom the greatest expression of God's grace came to us. And then third, we want to consider Mary as someone who responds to God's grace in faith. And as we consider these things, we'll find that on the one hand, we're standing outside this text. We're we're, we're marveling at something that has happened in history 2,000 years ago. We're we're looking at that, you know, back through the the pages of time, back through the kind of this glass window. We're separated from it and we're just standing in awe. But we'll also see that in another sense, God in his grace is beckoning us inside this passage by faith to partake of the same grace that he here is offering to Mary. So um so as we get ready to consider these things, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would rivet our minds to your word and I pray Lord that your word would have its intended effect on each of us to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So so first, in verses 26 through 28, we want to consider that Mary, the mother of our Lord, as an object of God's grace. But the first thing that we notice is that when heaven touches earth, it does so in the most unlikely places and to the most unlikely people at the most unlikely time, which is very encouraging. We see that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, meaning God is my strength, um, this messenger of God is sent by God from heaven to earth to where? A city in Galilee. Galilee was a region that Solomon had given to Hiram, the king of Tyre, out of gratitude for Hiram helping him with the temple. Hiram received the gift and he says, what is this that you have done to me, my brother? 
because he was not very impressed with the land of Galilee. Unimpressive place. The specific city was called Nazareth. Nathaniel said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Unimpressive place, unimpressive city. Joseph was the one that Mary was betrothed to. He was of the house of David. The house of David hadn't been in power for 500 years. It was like people were considering that a footnote of a footnote of an afterthought of history. You know, it was the castoffs of history. The house of David was has-beens. Why mention he's of the house of David? Who cares about the house of David? You know, the Romans were in power. It was all about Caesar now. But heaven touched earth with the house of David, with this carpenter. But Mary and Joseph had other plans. They were engaged to be married. They were, they were moving along with their lives, and yet heaven touches earth, interrupts all of that in one of the most unlikely places at an unlikely time. And God says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to break into this unlikely, cast off, despised place. And I'm going to bring grace. And so the angel says to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now this greeting, rejoice, it's uh, other places is translated greetings or hail or simply grace. The, the very greeting is a derivative of the term grace. Now, if you receive grace from God, and by the way, it's a very appropriate greeting. If heaven is touching earth, one of the first things you want to hear is grace. Because if heaven is touching earth, as a sinner, you could be expecting judgment. But if the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, mouth is grace, you say, all right, hallelujah. We're starting off on a good note. So he says, he says, grace, but grace and rejoice are all tied up together. If you have grace, then you have a permanent, solid, always continuing, never ending reason to rejoice. So heaven touches earth with greetings of grace and rejoicing. And then, the next word from the angel's mouth, highly favored one, is one Greek word again, saying you are the one that is selected by God to be a recipient of his grace. Now, that's a beautiful thought. He came to Mary and said, you bet you're selected by God to be somebody that he shows his undeserved kindness to. Then he says, the Lord is with you. That's a beautiful thing. Um, the Lord being with you, there's, there's, there's nothing greater uh, no, there's no greater experience in heaven and on earth or on earth than to hear that God is with you. Now, often in the Old Testament, when when it was said of somebody that God was with them, you expect that that something great is going to happen through them. The Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph prospered in all that he did. The Lord was with David. And so there was victory after victory after victory. And the Lord's enemies were defeated. So the angel is saying the Lord is with you, indicating Something great is going to happen, not simply to you, but something great is going to happen through you. And then he says, blessed are you among women. Among all women then, among all women of all time, you are blessed. And so, so again, on the one hand, we, we stand outside this passage and we just marvel that heaven touches earth at this unlikely place to a seemingly, to our fleshly minds, an unlikely person and God's grace breaks it. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, okay. All right. I'll hold it here. I'm sorry about that. Um, 
so he, so so heaven breaks in and and so we so we marvel at this but the holy spirit also beckons us to come in now when we were living down in trinidad when we would ask our trinidadian friends how are you doing from time to time we'd hear this answer i am blessed and highly favored and they took that answer right from this passage now why would they do that who would have the temerity or the boldness to say that the blessing of Mary is also my blessing? They said, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, if you recognize that that greeting of heaven has come to you, grace, rejoice. And if you realize that God takes this word, highly favored one, and he applies it to you. This happens the other time that this word appears in the scriptures is in Ephesians chapter one, where God says that you have been predestined before the beginning of the world to be adopted into the family of God, to be holy as God is holy, to, to have every spiritual blessing conceivable in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And because of all these things, it's appropriate that it is said of you, you are the one singled out for God's favor. God says to you, this message from heaven comes to you saying, the Lord is with you. God wants to do things through you. Blessed are you among women. Is that for you too? Well, John, Jesus' disciple with whom Mary lived uh, after Jesus uh, died, resurrected, and went to heaven, John described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that might seem to us uh, a, a perhaps a little bit too bold. The disciple that Jesus loved? But Sinclair Ferguson points out that John's inviting each one of us to say that of ourselves. That's not too bold. That's not too proud. That's the appropriate response to grace, to say, yes, Mary was blessed among all women. But when we realize God heaven has touched earth and God is coming to us and saying, you are the one that I'm, that I'm determined to show my grace to. We realize, yes, I'm the one of all people on earth. I know that God is determined to show his grace to me. So, so we see here Mary as an object of God's grace, but then God invites us in to see ourselves as recipients of God's grace. Then in the second section from 29 to 33, we find the angel delivering the message to Mary that it is through her that the greatest expression of God's grace will come to men. And so Mary initially is, is troubled. And, and let's pay attention to the angel's response to her troubledness. When holiness meets sinfulness, you can expect that someone might be troubled. The angel is a 6,000-year-old holy being, and Mary is aware of her sinfulness. And so it's not surprising that she is troubled. But the angel perhaps has rehearsed and prepared for this, and as angels are wont to do, she, he says immediately, do not be afraid. And so just as we find in the first section that grace comes to unlikely places at unlikely times, which is very encouraging. Here we find that grace comes from God to us to take away our fear. When we recognize the holiness of God, fear can rise in our hearts. 
when, when heaven touches earth and we're in the proximity, fear may be stirred up, up in us and we may be troubled. We may be searching to figure out what is going on. But grace takes away our fear. And the angel says the reason that her fear can be taken away is because she's found grace, literally. Again, that word, grace with God. Grace is always a reason for our fears to subside. Now, Mary didn't yet know at this moment the full reason that her fears needed to be taken away. That was going to be unpacked for her. That was going to be unfolded to her. But she knew that if this messenger from heaven said there was no reason to fear because of grace, she knew she could be, depend on that. And we too can depend on it that if God is offering grace to you, there is no reason to fear. Why is there no reason to fear? The angel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. This is the reason we have no reason to fear. The angel said, was saying that God is going to intervene in our situation. He's going to come from heaven to earth to the deepest depths of our deepest problems. And he's going to bring about salvation and he's going to bring about deliverance. Now, if human beings were tasked with the responsibility of bringing about deliverance and salvation and a solution to man's deepest and greatest problems, what would they do? They'd pile up as much money as they could, get the smartest people that they could, get the most powerful and influential people that they could, the strongest people that they could, pile them all together and get to work. But God's ways are not like our ways. What does God do? to address the problem of our greatest need. He says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. God, the infinite, God, the immeasurable, God, the, the immense and the eternal says, this is my strategy for solving the greatest problem in the world. It is this, the conception of the God-man. Now, a, a human egg is about the width of one of your hairs. And God says, that is my strategy. I will descend to a place utterly vulnerable, difficult to get more vulnerable than the size of, of the width of a human hair. That was the Holy One of God, the Savior of the world, conceived in the womb of Mary. And from that moment, to the time of his death, he was utterly vulnerable, utterly exposed, small, exposed to all the world's scorn, all the world's hatred, and, and all the world's sin. But that was the very point. The whole point was that God had to become vulnerable, had to become exposed to sin and hatred and death, because that was the strategy. God had to die. As, a, as the highest expression of his love. And in order to die, he had to become vulnerable. He had to be conceived. He had to grow to be a man and take our cross and take our sins. But this one, this son that Mary would be the mother of, 
he would he would descend to this place of utter vulnerability in order to be lifted to the place of highest praise. The angel goes on to say, he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. He is great. There's no one greater in the history of the world than Jesus Christ. There's no one greater in the universe than Jesus Christ. He is the son of the highest. From the moment of his conception, he was the perfect, accurate human reflection of who God is. He was the son of the highest. At the, at the time of his birth, he was the son of God. At the time when he was in the temple saying he had to be about the father, his father's business, he was the son of God. At the moment of his baptism, when the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, he was the son of God. At the time of his transfiguration, this is my beloved son, he was the son of God. At the time that he was being rejected, when his father was turning his back on him at the cross, he was the son of God. But of all times in his life, that he was manifest and declared to be the son of God. It was the moment of his resurrection. Even while he was alive, he told people over and over and over the sign, the one sign that I will give that all of my claims to be the son of God are true is my resurrection from the dead. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again. And so at the beginning of Romans, he says he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, from the dead. You are my son, God says, upon the resurrection. This day I have begotten thee. He is the son of the highest. And something happens at that moment when Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends to the throne of the highest, his rightful place. It says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, when David ascended his throne in the Old Testament, there was a transition of power. You remember the king that came before David. The king that came before David was all about himself. The Lord used him at times to fulfill his purposes, but Saul noticed that and he said, it is all about me and anybody who opposes me needs to be destroyed. Saul wanted to take the place of God like Lucifer before him. But then there's a transition of power and God says, I found a man after my own heart. And I've puzzled and puzzled and puzzled. What does this mean that David was a man after God's own heart? Look at how David interacts with his enemies. David's heart is broken when his enemies die. Saul, Absalom. Saul says, I wish, David says, I wish I had died instead of you. David is a man after God's own heart. He, he has a heart that yearns for his enemies. And that heart we find come to full expression in Jesus Christ, whose heart yearns so much for his enemies that he goes out to conquer us by dying for us. He doesn't say longingly, I wish that I had died instead of you. He said, I will come down and I will die instead of you. And that's how I save you. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And God invites you and I who tend too often to act like Saul. I'm the one and other, and other people need to move out of the way. God invites us into that transition to, to bow to bow down and to lay ourselves aside and to, and to bow before this one who makes his enemies his friends. The one who not only is one after God's own heart, but is God's own heart. God invites us to bow at his feet. And it says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, 
This isn't just talking about reigning over a piece of real estate in the Middle East. What he's saying is that he is reigning over everyone who has this response to God that Jacob did. Uh, Jacob was a schemer. Jacob was a, a conniver. Jacob was a liar. You know, Jacob was a trickster. We can be like that. We can be like that too. But when it came down to it, God went after Jacob and went after Jacob and went after Jacob. All along, God was intending to show grace to Jacob. And what gets me is that Jacob kept conniving to try to get blessings on his own that God was intending to give him the whole time. Aren't we like that? We connive and we scheme to try to get ahead and try to get our way and try to get good things. All the while, God intends to bless us and he's wrestling with us and he, and he wants us to say, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wants us to give up trying to get ahead and push our way ahead on our own by pushing others out of the way. And he wants us to surrender and say, God, I recognize I can't produce my own blessings. I need blessings from you. And so Jesus is the one who reigns over all those who are willing to give up all their scheming and striving and conniving to get ahead and say, Jesus, I need you. And what I want is blessings from you. And it says, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. No end. God does not come to an end. Hello, sir. Jesus Christ does not come to an end. And no one who believes in Jesus Christ will ever come to an end. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you recognize you need him, God just says, come. God just says, come as you are. Amen, Kurt. God says, come as you are. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So on the one hand, once again, we look at what the angel says to, to Mary, that there will be this utterly vulnerable son conceived in the womb of this young mother. This one will be the son of God, utterly vulnerable for the specific purpose of dying. And yet he will be great, greater than all. And anyone who will surrender to him will have a part in his everlasting kingdom. So grace comes to unlikely people in unlikely places. Grace comes to dispel our fear. God comes to make you, like Mary, an object of his grace. And God comes to deliver to you the message that he, just as, just as a child was born through Mary, to be the, the greatest expression of God's grace. A child is born to you and for you to be the greatest expression of God's grace and kindness and undeserved love for you. So let's take a moment and pause and reflect and think to ourselves, what is the appropriate response to God's grace? How should we respond to God's grace? How did Mary respond to God's grace? She accepted it. Now, immediately before this passage in the book of Luke, we find the story of Zacharias. The angel came to Zacharias and said that his wife would conceive a child in her old age. Zacharias's question was, how will I know this? The angel told him that's the wrong question. <laughs> he says, I stand in the presence of God. I'm telling you the truth. That's how you know it. Mary had a different question. 
She did not ask, how shall I know this? She asked, how can this be? Mary's question is a question of faith. I believe it. I accept it. You've said it. I believe it. That settles it. Just have a question about logistics. As far as I know, every child is conceived. Every other child that has been or will be conceived is conceived with one man and one woman. I'm a virgin. Logistical question. And so Mary's response is the response of faith. And what I want to encourage us to consider here is, is really what Anselm discovered. It's that when you believe, then your understanding will be opened up more and more. Too often we tend to have the attitude, once I understand, then I'll believe. But what we find in Mary is that when she believed, her understanding was opened up. That God responded to her faith by giving her more and more. He opened up the mystery of the greatest mystery of the universe, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He encouraged her faith. So we're encouraged to respond to God's grace in faith by recognizing that when you believe, God will open up to you his mysteries. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Because Mary believed, she finds the, the opening up of this mystery, this highest mystery of, of the universe for her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, this is an indication that something amazing and wonderful is going to happen. This is how the entire Old Testament came to us. The Holy Spirit came upon men. This is how the mighty deeds of old were done by Samson and others. The Holy Spirit came upon them and deeds of power were done. But here is the greatest thing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, and the, the greatest thing that has ever been done through a human being will be accomplished here. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Uh -oh. The power of the highest will overshadow you. This overshadowing language may recall to our minds the, the language of hovering. At the beginning of the, of the creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. The highest would overshadow Mary. At the dawn of creation, the Spirit hovered over, over the waters to bring about the creation. And here, the power of the highest would hover over Mary to bring about an answer to the prayer of the Son of God. Remember what he said, Psalm 40? Prepare me a body and I will go down. This is an answer to the prayer of the pre-incarnate Son of God. And here, as the Spirit hovered over Mary, as the power of the highest hovered over her, just as God took the bone of the man the, the rib bone of the man and made a woman, he would take that seed of the woman, that infinitesimally small egg, that seed of the woman, and he would form there the Holy One. There in her womb, at the moment of conception, he was the Holy One and the Son of God. 
So God beckons you in and he says, as you believe me, as you take me at my word, I will open up to you my mysteries. You don't stand before God and say, I won't believe until I understand. If God said it, it's true. You can take him at his word, believe, and he will take you by the hand and draw you in to, to things that you will, that you will not fully understand for all of eternity, but he'll bring you deeper and deeper and deeper in. But when you believe, God also comes to you to encourage that faith. Remember Gideon? Gideon believed, but that, that faith was like a candle that looked like it was about to flicker out. How do I know? How do I know? I believe, but how do I know? How do I know? But God comes along and he doesn't quench the dimly burning wick. And with Mary's responsive faith, he certainly doesn't quench that wick. He comes along to, to fan that into, into higher flame. And so the angel says, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So as at the beginning of the old covenant, there was an elderly woman who conceived, Sarah. Here at the, at the commencement of the new covenant, the herald of the new covenant, the herald of the king, John the Baptist, was conceived through an older woman. It's as if God is, is calling out to us and saying, look, I'm doing a new thing. Watch what I'm doing. Pay careful attention because this is my work. My work being done through Abraham and Sarah bringing forth Isaac. My work being done as I bring forth this one who is going to be the voice of one crying in the, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So God comes along even now. Maybe your faith is flickering. Maybe it's flickering so much that you wonder if you, if you have any. You, you, you know that this stuff is true, but, but you wonder, could I be a recipient of God's grace? Is God welcoming me to be in the same category as, as Mary? Somebody that he's singled out for his special love and favor? Maybe, maybe your faith is flickering. Maybe you wonder if, if, you've, if you have faith. And God comes along not to quench that, that flickering flame, but he comes along to strengthen your faith or to give you faith because the word of God has the power to give you faith. So listen, here in verse 37, the rendering is, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, literally in the Greek, what is said here is that with God, no word of God will fail. The word rhema, is used. Rhema refers to what God says. What God says will come to pass. Nothing will get in God's way. When God has said it, it will happen. With God, once God has said it, it will be done. And as Mary responds again in utter incomplete faith, we find what God is called how God is calling for us to respond. Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Is this how you're responding to this message right now? Here I am, Lord. Do whatever you want with me. This is Mary's response. Here I am. Do with me whatever you like. Is this your attitude? 
Mary believed that God was able to do this greatest thing conceivable through her. Not because she was special in herself, but because God said it. The Bible says that the works of Jesus Christ you will do if you believe in him. And greater works than these you will do. Why? Because Jesus has gone to the Father. That's what God says. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit has come upon you? God says that he He has not only shown his grace to you, but he wants to express his grace to the world through you by the power of Jesus Christ. Are you going to respond to that by saying, here I am, Lord. Do whatever you want with me. Now that may mean pain. It meant pain for Mary. A sword pierced her own soul. And it will certainly mean pain for you. Because if you're going to be the one who, as an instrument of the church, as mother, that brings forth souls, that comes through death. It will mean pain. But are you willing to surrender to the purpose of God who invites you in and says, I've shown my grace to you, and my purpose is to communicate my grace to the world in Jesus Christ through you as well. Behold, here I am, Lord. Do what you want with me. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary is echoing Gabriel here. With God, no word of God will fail. Let it be to me according to the word of God. God's word does not fall to the ground. Every word comes to pass. Let it be to me according to your word. So is this the answer of your heart? When you recognize that grace comes to unlikely places, do you say, yes, Jesus, I want that grace to come to me. When you recognize that God's purpose is to single you out as an object of his grace. Do you say, let it be to me according to your word. When you recognize that God's purpose in his grace is to take away your fear, do you say, let it be to me according to your word. When you recognize that God has shown his grace to the highest degree imaginable, you'll never climb to the top of that grace for all eternity and you'll always be climbing. Do you say, yes, Jesus, I want to, I want to start climbing now. I want to start climbing into the depths of your grace in Jesus now. Let it be to me according to your word. I want to respond as Mary did in faith. This is the beauty of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Faith. God's looking for this faith in you. God is able to produce this faith in you. Will you respond as Mary? Behold, here I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. This is God's invitation. This is the invitation of heaven. Just as certainly as the word of Gabriel came to Mary, saying that God's intention was to show grace to her and through her. God's word comes to you from heaven in his word saying, my purpose is to show my grace to you in Jesus and through you in Jesus. Will you say to God, here I am, Lord, let it be to me and through me according to your word. Not because I'm special, but because you are and because Jesus is and it all depends on you and I'm going to depend on you. Will that be the response of your own heart? Let it be to me according to your word. Please follow Mary's example and ponder these things in your heart.